chapter 19. This is the story, um, and I just put this message together um, for you guys about a week or two ago, but I really think there's a lot of things here that are going to connect. So we'll just jump right in. If you have been to church much, you may have heard this story. Uh, It's pretty simple, but I think there's some powerful stuff in it. Luke chapter 19, we're going to go through verse 1 through verse 10. This is what the Bible says. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. This guy was obviously very short, so he ran ahead, verse 4, and climbed up the sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, and he came down, and he received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all complained and said, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house, because you're also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So God, we just thank you for the power of your word, and God, just pray tonight that literally everybody in the audience, that you would speak to them and God, a way that they need to hear from you. And Lord, that tonight would just be a catalyst and it would be kind of a trampoline to, to put some of us on a new path, to bring some of us into a new relationship and for others of us to just walk in a new fire for you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I was speaking in Tennessee and we were doing what's called a crusade. We had a bunch of people coming and we were meeting in the high school gym. And uh, matter of fact, they tell me it was the, it is to this day the largest crowd of people that had ever gathered in that gym, even surpassing the state playoffs. And so some really good things were happening during the week. I was kind of doing what we normally do, and I would speak in schools, and we had a lot of students coming to Christ. And um, so anyway, um, I heard a story, a, a pretty tragic story about uh, this family, and they were very fairly prominent in the, in the community. Um, the father um, had an automobile accident, and make a kind of a long story somewhat short if I can. Uh, this man, um, because of his accident, he had been pres- prescribed some prescription drugs that he eventually got addicted to, and then the doctors would no longer prescribe them. And anyway, he fell into a, a terrible addiction. Well, because of that, his wife had kicked him out of the house, and then everything culminated on Thanksgiving Day. She'd had to take out a restraining, uh, a restraining order against him. And, and so Thanksgiving Day, although he's not supposed to be at the house, he comes and knocks on the door, and um, the wife cracks open the door, and he puts a gun in between where the door was cracked and shoots his wife in the head, and she literally drops dead on the floor. Well, they had one son, a guy by the name of Kyle, And Kyle was a witness to not only his mother's death, but subsequently, obviously, his father was sentenced to life in prison. 
Kyle had never been in any kind of trouble with the law. He just a just a great kid. But because of what had happened in his family and seeing his mother gunned down by his father on Thanksgiving Day, Kyle began to get into a lot of trouble. He just couldn't cope with what he had seen. And so he also had ended up developing an addiction, had been in and out of jail, and the judge was aware of the circumstances that kind of had led Kyle to the place where he was in, and the judge had really cut him a lot of slack. Well, right before we had gotten to this town in Tennessee to do this big event, Kyle had just been arrested, and I don't remember, it had been numerous times that he had been arrested. And so basically, Kyle was facing a long time in prison for some of the crimes that he committed. Well, anyway, one night at the end of uh, one of our meetings, and of course, we, because of the crowds, we had, the sheriff's department was there. And uh, I had already heard about this tragic story because it was pretty prevalent in that part of Tennessee. And one of the sheriff's department came up to me and said, listen, man, uh, I, I've no, known this family pretty much my whole life. And, and, you know, Kyle's a good guy, just couldn't handle what happened. And he's gotten into a lot of trouble as a result of it and developed an addiction and then began to do some illegal things to support the addiction. And he said, um, would you be willing, if I can get you a meeting with the judge, would you be willing to meet with the judge? Because what I'd like to happen is to see if the judge would let him out of jail and he could come to this event at the, at the basketball arena. He said, I truly believe that if Kyle could meet Christ, it would totally change his life. And I said, man, I'd be more than glad to meet with the judge. But actually, I never had to. The sheriff's department, several of the guys that were coming to our meeting went and talked to the judge. And the judge allowed Kyle to show up in this gymnasium in Tennessee, and the unthinkable happened. Kyle was the one guy in the city that, based on everything that had happened in his family, and again, this addiction that he had developed and some of the crimes that he committed, he would have been the one guy that if you would have looked at this city in Tennessee, you would have said, he's the one guy that would never give his life to Christ. He's just too far gone. And I so remember so clearly, the judge had actually said that if uh, he was not, he would have to be escorted by the sheriff's department. He had to be in handcuffs, which you can imagine how weird that would be to be in this large crowd of people and you have handcuffs on. And uh, he technically, according to the judge, if he made a decision for Christ, was not allowed to come forward. But nonetheless, somebody from the sheriff's department, it's, I apologize for laughing, but it's such a great visual in my mind because I remember so clearly a guy from the sheriff's department escorting him up to the front of that gymnasium and Kyle gave his life to Christ. Kyle is living for Jesus to this day. His life was radically and completely transformed in spite of the fact that he probably would have been the guy that everybody thought would never come to Jesus. We say, Jay, why do you tell that story? Because I truly believe that when we break down the story that we're going to break down tonight, I think if you were in Jericho at the time of this story that we just read, in all likelihood, if somebody were to ask you, who is the least likely person in all of Jericho to ever meet Jesus, let alone have a transformed life? Based on what we know about Zacchaeus, he's probably the guy that you would have fingered and said he'll never come to Christ. And there's a few things I want to do to set the table tonight to kind of give you a little bit of a, a backdrop. First of all, this city of Jericho was a very prominent and wealthy city. Matter of fact, out of this city. Now, Zacchaeus, this tax collector who lived in this area known as Jericho, uh, you have to understand a few things about a tax collector. First of all, well, really, there's no difference in tax collectors then and now. 
Most people don't like to pay taxes. Most people don't like tax collectors. So Zacchaeus was a guy that not only was a tax collector, but if you were paying close attention when we read or following along in your Bible, you would have noticed that not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. Now, the tax collectors were hated for several reasons. One of them is, is because they worked for Rome. And if you were a Jewish person, you would want absolutely nothing to do, but there was always problems between the Jews and the Romans. And so if you were working for the Roman government, which you would have been collecting taxes, you would have been looked at as a traitor. Another reason that people didn't like tax collectors was for the same reason people don't today, because they were taking money out of people's pockets. And so Zacchaeus not only was a tax collector, and they were always taking advantage of people. If you look uh, at what some of the, uh, the Jewish historians, they said that oftentimes they would practice extortion. They would take more money than what they were really allowed to take. That it was not uncommon for a tax collector when people couldn't pay to actually hire somewhat of like a hitman that would come in and bully people and beat people up when they couldn't pay their taxes. So you can understand tonight why Zacchaeus was hated. But not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So what he was able to do is he was able to take some of, skim the profits from other tax collectors as well. Now, tax collectors were so hated that literally they were not even allowed in the Jewish synagogue. So that's a little bit of information so you kind of know the background of this guy uh, known as Zacchaeus. Now, the first thing that we see here uh, in this story, obviously news has traveled around about Jesus. Jesus is doing things that no one has ever done. Miracles are taking place. And although the scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of insight, we have to come to a conclusion that there was something missing in Zacchaeus' life. Now, here he is. He's a short guy. According to what we read tonight, he's a very wealthy man. He's socially isolated. He's an outcast. He can't even go to the Jewish synagogue. In all likelihood, his own mother and father and brothers and sisters would not even want to admit that he was a part of the family. But in spite of his money, in spite of his collaboration with the Roman government, there's obviously something in Zacchaeus's life that's missing. He's somehow looking for more. He's heard these stories about this guy named Jesus, and he's very short. And kind of like maybe a, a Beyonce concert or something where the crowds are, want to get close and they, they want to get a good eye view of some football star or movie star or, or musician as the crowds begin to gather to see this man known as Jesus who's done things that nobody ever does. Zacchaeus, not being six foot six like your speaker tonight, he's so short he can't see above the crowd. And so he humbles himself. He climbs up a tree because that's the only way that he's going to get a chance to see this man. And I believe the fact that he climbed the tree was indicative of the fact that in spite of his money, something was wrong. Now, I've been doing this a long time. And I speak to literally people of all age groups. Sometimes I speak in, on college campuses. And I'm often amazed at how often, regardless of what gender, regardless of what race, regardless of where you're in high school or college or you're an adult like me with a wife and kids, how many people, there's something missing in their life. They're looking for more. And oftentimes the people that I meet that are the most dissatisfied and looking for more, oftentimes are the people that have the most monetarily as was the case with Zacchaeus. I hope tonight while I'm speaking that somehow you can in your mind's eye 
just kind of shift back 2,000 years ago and imagine the scene as Jesus is walking down the street, as the crowds have gathered to see him, and here's this little short man who everybody knows who he is, everybody hates him, and he's climbed up on this limb in order to see Jesus. As we look at the scripture, there's a few things that I want to break down tonight. Now we see that as he's on this limb, We'll revert back here to the text. He climbed ahead up the sycamore tree in order to see Jesus because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus and he said to him, Zacchaeus, he called him by name. The first thing that I want you to see tonight is he knew Zacchaeus' name. Do you understand tonight And I would imagine that would have been a crazy thought to Zacchaeus. Here's this man. He's a miracle worker. We don't know if he's God's son. We don't know if he's some kind of a prophet, but he's doing things that nobody's ever done, and he knows my name. I want you to know tonight, right where you're seated, that he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows the things that your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mother, your father, the closest friends that you have, Jesus knows every single thing about you. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. And I would imagine that Zacchaeus would have been blown away that, that, that this son of God knew his name. You know, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 69 that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. There's nothing that God does not see. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says that before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. It's a powerful thought when you think about it. Psalms 139 says that God comprehends your path. He knows when you lie down. He knows when you get up. He's acquainted with every part of your life. In that same chapter, verse 17, it says, How precious are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. There's a story I love in the New Testament. Uh, Nathaniel, <clears throat> excuse me. Nathaniel brought his brother Philip to meet Jesus. And uh, this was in the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was calling his disciples. And uh, it, it's really amazing. So he, he invites his brother. Uh, Nathaniel was brought by Philip. Philip brings Nathaniel and says, listen, you got to meet Jesus. And he goes, oh, what, what good can come out of Galilee? And when he's walking up to Jesus, Jesus calls him by name. And he says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. Well, he was amazed by it. That Jesus literally had seen him in a place that nobody else had seen him. And it's so important tonight for you to understand that he knows you. He knows every detail about your life. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that can bring either great encouragement that he knows when I get up, that he knows when I lie down, that he knows my thoughts, he knows my secrets, or at the same time, that can also be discouraging depending on where your walk is with God. If you're far away from God and you're not living your life for him and, and you think about tonight all the secret things that he knows about you and every detail of your life and your thoughts and your motives and your intentions and when you get up and when you go down, if you're not walking with God, that's a very convicting thought. But if you're walking with God, it's a very encouraging thought to think that God Almighty would be interested in your life. The social currency for most all of us, whether you're in college or whether you're an adult, is relationships. That's why your generation spends so much time on social media. It's connectivity. 
And to think that Jesus Christ would take the time. I would imagine tonight that if somebody started following you on Instagram or Twitter or whatever social media venue you use, that if somebody started following you that was famous or well-known, some musician or rock star or whatever, you'd probably tell everybody about it. You would be stunned that somebody of that significance was interested in your life. But imagine tonight that God Almighty is interested. He's that interested in your life. Zacchaeus would have been blown away that not only that God knew him, but God saw him. God knows you. I remember when I first got saved, I was going down to an evangelism conference, and there was a guy that was a nationally known preacher. I won't say his name. You wouldn't know him anyway, but he was a nationally known guy. He'd been on the cover of Time magazine. He's somebody that I looked up to because he was an evangelist like me. And um, in, in the old days at the evangelism conference, there would have probably been 15,000, 20,000 people there. And I knew who he was. And I'm walking, literally just walking around between sessions, and this guy walks past me, and, and he says, uh, you're Jay Louder. And uh, I was blown away. I shook his hand, and, and uh, I'm like, I, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, how do you know me? I was just so blown away that this man who I respected that was a nationally known preacher would, would know my name. And he said, man, I've heard about the things that are going on in Wichita Falls and how God's using you on the streets. I was so blown away. But think about tonight that God knows you. That God sees you. Last September, I was invited. I'm going back. I'm already excited. I'm already invited to go back to the largest Christian university in the United States. Now, that doesn't mean everybody that goes there is Christian. Liberty University in Lynchburg. I got a chance to speak to 14,000 on Tuesday, and then I spoke to 14,000 on Thursday. I spoke to 28,000 students between a three-day time span. And uh, it's pretty cool when you're in the Vine Center and you're speaking to 14,000. And when I got finished speaking, I just hung around. You know, just if anybody wanted to talk. And until literally they drug me away because I had other obligations, I spent two hours, literally, a line from here to probably, not joking, a line that would have went from here probably to the main church building. Students your age, they wanted to come up and talk to me. And there was the whole gauntlet. There were some people who were just, they were fighting depression. There were some who were fighting hopelessness. There were some that were fighting addiction. There were some that were just lonely, some that felt like they didn't fit in, some that it was a big adjustment for them because it was the first time they'd ever been away from home, and, and it was being away from mom and dad in a, a new area and so different from high school. I met girls that had been sexually abused. I mean, literally, I heard every story that you could possibly imagine. I met people who said, you know, Jay, I go to the school. I'm not a Christian. I didn't come to this school because, it's, because I'm a Christian. I came to the school because it's a great school. And everything in between. And literally, like I say, so for a grand total of four hours, just talk to people your age and just heard their hurts and just heard their pains and heard their struggles. The one that stood out more to me than any other, matter of fact, I contacted her today through our Instagram page uh, to tell her, because now we've kind of become friends, to tell her that I'm going to tell a portion of her story. But if literally all those students that I spoke to, after I spoke on Tuesday and Thursday, one girl stands out more than any other's. And I noticed her long before it was her turn to speak to me because she was about 20 people back. And I mean, tears were just running down her face. And she came up to me and began to tell me about how this was the first time she'd ever been away from home and how she felt like she didn't fit in at school and how she'd battled depression her whole life. And here she was in a new town and a new school. She didn't feel like she fit in. And it was a big transition in her life. Had always struggled with depression 
and told me that literally seven days, exactly seven days before I had spoke, that was the first day on Tuesday, she was getting out of a hospital because she had overdosed in an attempt to end her life. That, that day when we invited students. I've never been apologetic about it, and I do it everywhere I go, because Jesus said, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And you can look at it online. I asked college students your age, unapologetically, I said, if you want to either get right with God or know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, get out of your seat. I didn't know what was going to happen. You're talking 14,000 students packed, jam-packed in Vines Arena. And I can say without exaggeration that we literally, and nobody really knows the real number because there were so many that, that couldn't be counted. But I think, honestly, without any exaggeration, we could say there was over 1,000. There were over 400 people online that said, my life with God is not right and I want to get it right. Her life was transformed, but, 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 but it goes back to this Zacchaeus thing that, that God knew about her and God saw her and God recognized her needs and God was wanting to meet her needs. And, and I don't know you, I don't know anybody in this room, but Connor Fitzhenry, a very good friend of mine in my family. I don't know anything about you, but I know this, God knows you and he sees your need and he wants to meet your need. Let's move on to the second thing that we see in this story. Not only did God see Zacchaeus, not only did God know about Zacchaeus, but God wanted Zacchaeus to know him. I love this part of the story. If you'll notice it, uh, at verse five, he said, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, make haste. Today, kind of doing some touch-ups on this message, I, I looked up the translation of what this word would have actually been in its Greek language. And it's the imperative. And in essence, Jesus was saying, I need to go to your house today. It is urgent that I go to your house today. It's imperative that I go to your house today. Jesus was saying, initially by helping Zacchaeus see that he knew him and he saw him, he was saying in essence to Zacchaeus, not just I want to come to your house, but I want you to know me. You know, tonight, and, and I've heard this so many times, and people say, you know, Jay, man, it just seems God's so far away, and, and, and it just, I have such a hard time connecting with God, and the truth of it is some of us in this audience have a misconception of who God really is, and maybe it's based on who our father was, or maybe it's based on somebody else who we knew was a Christian who lived a hypocritical life, but I want you to know something. God wants you to know him. He wants to invade as he did with Zacchaeus. He wants to be in your home. He wants to be in your life. And I love the fact that when Jesus addressed Zacchaeus, I love the fact of that urgency. You know, tonight when we get done, there's going to be an opportunity. Because I believe, and I've prayed it, so I believe God's going to do it. There's going to be, and I don't know who, but I believe that when we get done tonight, there's going to be some people that God spoke to tonight, and it's going to be a turning point for the rest of their life. I truly believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have wasted my time coming here. I truly believe that tonight is going to be a turning point for some of you, just like it was literally the, probably around 1,500 people uh, at Liberty University. And so when we look at this and we see this, that, that God is wanting you to know who he is. 
And he wants to do it now. Some of you say, well, you know, man, uh, I hear this. I want to do it later. I need to finish school. I got some things in my life that I need to work out. You know, God didn't say, Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus, well, you know, get your life together and quit cheating people and and quit being a, a, a dishonor to your family name and to the Jewish heritage. No, Jesus said, I want you to know me now. God didn't want to do something in your life next week or next month or next year. God wants to do something in your life, and I believe it with all my heart tonight. Yeah, Jesus wanted Zacchaeus to know him. Uh, verses come to mind when I think about this. Matthew eleven twenty eight, And Jesus said this, and I quote, Come unto me, all you who are laboring and you're heavy laden. That's kind of King James' word, but Jesus was saying, Come to me, those of you that have burdens. Come to me, those of you that are struggling. I think about what Jesus said in John 6, 37. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Jamie, I don't even know if God would really wants me to know him because I'm just so far away and I've failed him in so many ways. But yet John 6, 37, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. I love what Isaiah 55, verse 6 says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is near. John, uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek him and find him when you search for him with all your heart. And I think about what the half-brother of Jesus, James, said. James chapter 4, verse 8, listen to this, and I'm quoting directly. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Yeah, he was saying to Zacchaeus, I want you to know me. I want to invade your life. I want to be in your home. I want to be a part of everything that you are, and I want to do it now. What an amazing thought that God would want to know you or me. And can you imagine what would have been going through uh, Zacchaeus' mind? Now remember, he has no friends. The only friends that he has are other people who are crooks. No respectable, honest person with character and integrity would have ever darkened the door of his home. And now this miracle worker, son of God, Messiah named Jesus is saying, I got to come to your house now. I hope you can see that in your minds. I I wish I could, I I just envision what the look on Zacchaeus' face must have been when his name has been called, when he's being invited to have Jesus over for dinner. It must have been just an amazing thought. A few years ago, um, I, and I don't read the newspaper, but uh, they had free newspapers out. I was getting on an airplane and um, I was actually... uh, kind of cheesy. I was kind of emotional because I was leaving my wife and kids and I've been gone a lot and I was kind of dreading going. And I picked up the newspaper just for something to read, just something to get my mind off my wife and kids. And uh, I was flipping through the pages and something immediately caught my attention. It was a story by, about a guy named Benjamin Cole. And uh, this guy, um, he was watching his uh, daughter, Brianna, and uh, he had this daughter with a woman. He actually wasn't married to her, but anyway, he was playing video games. And his girlfriend, the mother of the child, uh, had gone to run errands and told him to watch Brianna. And he was playing video games. And the child wouldn't quit crying. And so according to court documents, you can read it all online. It's a pretty graphic story. But when the baby wouldn't be quiet, Benjamin goes into this little child, Brianna, that was in the crib, and he couldn't get her to shut up. So he took, she was laying on her stomach, and so he took her legs and bent them so far over the back of her head, it broke her spinal cord, severed her aorta, and killed her. Remind you, I just left my wife and three kids. 
Mind you that when I get on the airplane, my eyes are watering because I'm having to leave my family again and I'm dreading doing it. And here I am reading a story about a guy who's on death row in Oklahoma because his video games were being interfered with and he basically murdered his daughter. And I'll be honest with you, I'm reading this story on the airplane and it just filled me with such rage and such anger. How could someone do something like this? How could you possibly... It's just, it's so beyond imagination. And as I'm sitting there on my, in this seat on this airplane thinking about how much I hate this man that I don't even know and how I can't believe he would do something like that, especially someone who has a daughter like I do, it's like I believe God put the thought in my mind. God even loves him. Even someone as wicked and evil as a guy named Benjamin Cole. Jesus Christ even died for him. How could God love someone like that? I would imagine that's what people were saying about Zacchaeus. Here's this known crook. He's a known cheater. He's bullied my family. Maybe even they came, maybe not even able to eat this week because he has shady business dealings, has stole their money, and everybody knows it. And now Jesus Christ is addressing him? How could God love someone like that? Maybe tonight, if you were to be honest, I mean, you come to the bridge, or, but down deep in your heart, you really wonder if God really loves you. Maybe you never felt the love of your father. Maybe your mom was never there. Maybe you've been taken advantage of over and over and over by some guy or by some girl, and it's like, is love even real? Well, I believe, and I know, that God even loves Benjamin Cole, and certainly if God loves Benjamin Cole, he could love you, and he does. I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't explain it, but I know it to be true. And I love the response of the crowd. Did you notice the crowd? The crowd, they, 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 they are very bothered by the fact that Jesus Christ is going to Zacchaeus' house. Now, I would imagine some of the crowds kind of going, well, why not me? I mean, I'm trying to live a good life, and I'm trying to live an honest life. And I mean, again, if you were in the crowd and you knew Zacchaeus, you think about the worst person that you know, whoever that is, committed the worst crimes. And imagine if whoever that person was, there's somebody I saw on the news right here in this city that's, um, they did a major story on for child molestation. I don't know the guy. I know of the guy. He's a big name here in town. And you see him on TV and you go, what a disgusting human being. Well, whoever that person is that you know, imagine if tonight that person was on stage and Jesus Christ would have walked in the room and bypassed everyone in this room and went up to him. I would imagine the crowd was stunned. Maybe they said, he, he must not be the son of God because he doesn't know who that guy is. No, he, Jesus knew who he was. You see, there was a misunderstanding about who Jesus is, and I think some of us still have that misunderstanding tonight. See, when you must understand tonight, while the crowd was upset that Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' house, what you may not understand, maybe intellectually you do, but maybe not relationally that you don't, is the fact that that's the very people that Jesus is after. The very people that are the most jacked up and the most goofed up and the farthest away from God and who are not living the kind of life that they should live is the very people that Jesus is pursuing. You know what he said? He said, I came to call not righteous people. I came to call sinners. 
That's who he's after. And I love the fact that this story, in many ways, evidences his love for sinners in maybe some other ways that maybe no other story really does. Maybe that's you tonight. You feel like that's me. He sees me. He knows me. He wants me to know him. The Son of God is willing to invite me to come into his house. He wants a relationship with me. He doesn't want to know me from a distance. He doesn't want an Instagram relationship or a Facebook relationship or a Twitter relationship. No, he wants a tight-knit, close relationship with you. In spite of all your shortcomings and all your failures, in spite of maybe some ways that when you left home and went off to college, you did some things that you regret, and maybe you're living with the consequence of that, or maybe your loneliness or your depression or your addiction or your, whatever your struggle is. Jesus came. Thank God he came for people that are hurt and that are broken and that are struggling. I won't go into my story, but that was me at 21 years of age. I attempted suicide. Thank God that Jesus reached out to people like me who were all jacked up. And he wants to reach out to you tonight. Not next week, not next month, not when you get your life together, not when you get back home, not when you get married, not when you finish college, not when you get your degree, but tonight. And then last of all, not only did he see Zacchaeus, not only did he know Zacchaeus, not only did he want Zacchaeus to know him, but the last thing is, and this is so important, and you got to hear me tonight on this, he wants to save you. He wants to save you. Now, I recognize that many of you in this room already know Christ. I saw the amount of hands that came up that are first-time visitors, and I know most of you, that means you come here every week, and so I recognize that the majority of you know Jesus, probably so. I would sincerely doubt that all of you know Jesus, because I would assume that many of you, or some of you, would have to be like me, and you grew up in church, and you went through all the religious things, but you've never really been saved. I mean, you can quote verses, and you can sing songs, and you can look good, but you've never had a real relationship like me baptized on three different occasions, grew up in church and lost, completely lost, looked religious, had a form of godliness, no power in my life because the relationship wasn't real. If there's anything we see in this story is, is that God wanted to save Zacchaeus. What does the Bible say? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. No, he's not here to condemn you, but he came to save you. 1 Timothy 2.4, what does it say? God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9, God is not slow as some people count slowness, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that everybody would come to repentance. And for those of you that already know Christ and your relationship's real, it's not just you were baptized or dunked or sprinkled or you're religious or whatever, but for those of you that have a real relationship with Christ and you say, well, Jay, listen, man, I'm already saved. But if you're in a faraway land tonight and you're away from God, he wants you to come home tonight. He wants to fix your life tonight. He wants to change your life tonight. He wants you to come back to him tonight. He wants to make all things new tonight. He wants to put that fire back in your life that once used to be there. He wants to give you a love for this book that maybe you once had. He wants you to have a fire that burns brighter for him than any other relationship or any amount of money or any college degree or anything else. And for those of you that maybe don't know Christ, like I didn't, although I was religious, 
you must understand that more than anything else, he wants to save you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's an urgency about it. The Bible never talks about a salvation for tomorrow. The Bible never talks about getting right with God tomorrow. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, today is the day. And that's why Jesus said to Zacchaeus, hurry immediately. We got to get to your house. Zacchaeus had an opportunity to say yes or no, but according to what we read in Scripture, Zacchaeus immediately got down from that tree and took Jesus to his house. I close with this. I was flying from Atlanta back home. We don't need any music tonight, by the way, so don't worry about getting up. I was flying home from Atlanta. Now, you have to understand, when I'm on the road, I love people and I love crowds, but that's when I'm on the road. By the time I get on an airplane to come home, I'm, 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 I'm just wasted. I'm just gone. I'm just, there's not much of me left. And so normally, when I get on an airplane, I'll put on my Bose headphones, and it's really kind of my way of saying to the person next to me, don't talk to me. And sometimes, if my headphones are dead, I'll put them on anyway. And then sometimes, if I don't want people to talk to me, because I've already talked to more people than I can talk to, especially if it's a man. Men always have one question. What do you do for a living? Men always want to know what other men are doing. And I know the best, easiest way to shut down a conversation is when somebody says, what do you do for a living? All I got to say is, is I'm an evangelist. And nobody wants to talk to me. Because they assume an evangelist is some guy on TV begging for money and he's some kind of crook. So I get on this airplane and I put on my Bose headphones because I want to sleep. I am worn out. I want to get home. I want to get to my family. And I got my headphones on and there's a guy next to me and I just have... Now, when I say God spoke to me, I don't mean spoke to me in the sense that I'm speaking to you where I hear an audible voice. When I say God spoke to me, I mean that I felt God impressing me. And I've got my headphones on and I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm completely worn out and, and I don't want to talk to anybody and I've made it clear by putting on my headphones, I don't want to talk to anybody. And I just feel like this God it keeps impressing me to speak to the guy next to me about Jesus. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I've been speaking about Jesus to all these people for all these days. I'm done talking about Jesus. I just want to sleep where when I get home, there's some part of me left where I can be a decent husband and father to my kids. And I'm fighting this and I can't go to sleep. Well, finally, I'm so frustrated. I'm like, okay, fine. Lord, I'm, I, I, get, I, get the, I get the message. I feel the impression. I'm going to say something. Now, by the way, I do not recommend this is the way you speak to people about Jesus, okay? This is not the way you do it. I took off my headphones and I said, sir, I know you think I'm going to lost my mind. That's okay with me. I just want to ask you one question. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? We'd never even said hello to one another. Now you can imagine what you would expect a response from that. I figured he'd say, this guy's a nut job and didn't want to say anything else to me. As soon as I said that, this guy looks at me and I kid you not, there's just a hesitation. I don't know if the guy's about to punch me, if he's about to curse me out. I really don't care. I just want to get this done and get home. He's looking at me square in the eye in what seemed like two years, probably a matter of seconds, tears start going down his cheeks. And now it's really weird because you don't normally meet a man that you don't, I say meet, hadn't even met him, don't know this man from Adam, and here we are sitting next to one another in the exit row on an American Airlines airplane, and here he is looking me square in the eyes in tears. I don't mean just, I mean they're running. And I was going to say something, and I thought, I'm not going to say a word. Whatever God's doing, I'm just going to let God do it. 
And so this uncomfortable deal, I turned and didn't look at him anymore. I'm just looking straight ahead, waiting for him to say something. I'm not exaggerating at all when I say that he no longer was crying. He was crying to the point where people could hear him crying. And the people that were seated in front of us in exit row turned to look to see what is going on. Weird scenario. He finally starts speaking. Trying to pull it together. The stewardess walked by. Sir, are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. He turns and looks at me. He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible father. He said, things in my life have gotten way out of control. My wife found out just last night about another affair I've had on her. And my wife told me to leave the house and to never come back. I'm flying home to see my mother and father. My life is completely broken. I have wasted and messed up my whole life. And he said, before I got on this plane, he said, I said to God, God, I don't even know if you exist. I don't even know if you're real. But my life is a complete wreck. And God, if you are real, send somebody to tell me you are. A hair stand up on my arms. Somewhere between heaven and earth, from Atlanta, Georgia, to Dallas, Texas, that man began to ask me, how can I know Jesus? And on that airplane between heaven and earth, me and that man prayed out loud, and his life was radically turned upside down. God wanted to save him. And nothing that he could have done would have kept God from chasing him. God wants to do something in you. Let's pray. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. And I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and don't get up, don't move or anything else. I ask you to do that just because I don't, just for a minute, I don't want you to be thinking about what, what is going on after this thing's over or school or what's going on at home. Just, just bow your head and close your eyes right where you're at. Just for a minute so you can stay focused in on one thing, the only thing that matters where you are between you and God. I know Jesus sees you. I know he wants you. I know he wants you to know him. I know he wants to change your life. Are you willing to allow him to do it? I mentioned earlier that I grew up in church and I was baptized and I was lost. Outwardly, I looked religious. But I walked into an evangelistic meeting at 21 years of age, and I realized I was lost. I could quote a few scriptures. My mom taught Sunday school. We went to a Baptist church. I was lost. I wonder tonight how many of you, right where you're seated, you would say, Jay, I know without a doubt that my relationship with Jesus Christ is real. You say, well, Jay, nobody knows that. Well, that's not true. The Bible says that you can know without a doubt. And so tonight what I want to do is the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Zacchaeus is proof that God will save anybody. 
The Bible says that if you would confess with your mouth, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, you believe he rose from the grave, and you're willing by his power to turn your back on your sin, the Bible says it doesn't matter what mistakes you've made, that he will save you. That means he'll forgive you. It means, yeah, he'll give you a ticket to heaven, but more than that, it means he'll give you a new life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do exactly what I did for those students at Liberty University last September. I don't know you. But if you don't know for absolute certainty, if you couldn't say, Jay, I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ lives inside of me. Not, I know I was baptized. I know I was confirmed. I know I was christened. No, no, no. You say, if you can't say, I know without a doubt, Jesus Christ lives in me. What I want to invite you to do is pray a prayer with me right where you're seated. Now, the Bible never says you're saved by praying a prayer, but the Bible does say that you're saved by putting your faith in Christ. The Bible says that when you're willing to put your faith, your trust in Jesus and receive him as your savior, that he will forgive you and give you a new life. So right where you're seated, if you'd say, Jay, I really don't know that for sure. I'm not positive. I'm going to invite you just silently, right where you're seated, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. If you're willing by his power to turn your back on your sin and receive him, it goes something like this. There's no magic words, but it would go something like this. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe that he died on a cross and I believe that he rose from the grave. And God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I have failed you. But you said, if I would call on your name, if I would put my faith in your son, you would forgive me and save me and change me. And so right now, Jesus Christ, I receive you into my life. My faith is in you and you alone. I never want to doubt again whether or not you live in me. So I receive you right now. Jesus Christ is my Lord and my God and my Savior. Come into my life. With every head still bowed and every eye still closed, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody in any way. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and say anything. I will not embarrass you. But with nobody looking around, what I just did for you is what somebody did for me at 21 years of age. If you just pray that prayer with me, you may be Catholic, Baptist, or Methodist, or you may be a visitor tonight, or you may come here every week, or you're, you may be a Sunday school teacher. I don't know. But if you just pray that prayer with me with nobody looking around, would you just lift your hand? Just lift it up high. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just keep it up for a second. Lift it up high. Anybody else? There's several. Lift it up high. It's hard to see in these bright lights. Just lift it up high. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Many of you, anybody else quickly? I don't want to miss anybody. There's hands all over this room. Anybody else quickly? Anybody else? Hands all over this room. You may put your hands down. One other thing and then I'm going to be done. I wonder how many of you here tonight, you say, Jay, listen, man, I know Jesus. I know that I know I know Jesus, but God is speaking to me tonight. Because even though I'm a believer, even though I have truly accepted Christ, Jay, there's some things in my life that are not right with God and God is speaking to me. And I need to get those things right. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I won't embarrass you either. Jay, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus, but God is speaking to me. Just lift it up high. I'm not going to embarrass you. Lift it up high. Yes, several of you. Anybody else? Lift it up real high. I'm a Christian. I know Jesus, but man, God's speaking to me tonight because there's some things in my life that are just not right. And and I want to be right with God. Anybody else? Lift them up high. Anybody else? Quickly. I don't want to miss anybody. Lay hands all over the room. Now, everybody's got their heads bowed and eyes closed. Put your hands down. Those of you that raised your hand, Only those of you that raise your hand for one of those two reasons, just lift your head and look right this way at me. Everybody else has their heads bowed. And don't worry that you're the only one. There's a lot of you. 
If you raise your hand for one of those two reasons, I want you to lift your head and look right this way at me. Everybody else has their heads bowed. There's probably 30 of you. So if you're worried about lifting your head, don't worry, because there's people all over this room. And I want to talk to you just for a second. Whether you were one of those people that you said, Jay, I prayed that prayer with you. It's exactly what I did at 21 years of age. I wasn't sure. I wanted to be sure. I prayed that prayer. He asked us to raise our, I raised my hand. I prayed that. I would embarrass. I didn't care what anybody said. Some of you didn't pray that prayer with me, but you said, Jay, I want, man, I'm a believer, but I, I, I want to be right with God because I'm not. I'm going to ask you to do something that's not easy. Not all of you will do it because some of you are a little bit more concerned what other people think than you are what God thinks. Jesus said, if you won't confess me before other people, I will not confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. And my personal conviction is if you can't stand for God on a Tuesday night, I almost said Wednesday, if you can't stand for God on a Tuesday night at the bridge, you will never stand for God at Midwestern State University or anywhere else. And so this is what I'm going to ask you to do. The 25, 30, whatever the number is, there's a bunch of you. Every one of you that are looking right this way, I'm asking you before you leave, I'm going to ask you, i got some friends here in the back. Nobody wants your money. Nobody's going to ask you to join anything. Nobody's going to cost you. I've got some friends in the back, and all they want to do is they want to pray with you before you go. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, those of you that prayed that prayer with me, there's several of you that did that. I'm going to encourage you to tell that person, all you got to do is say this, I prayed that prayer with Jay. That's all you got. They'll know when, when you say, I prayed that prayer with Jay. You don't have to say I'm Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, visitor. None of that matters. You just say, I, I prayed that prayer with Jay. That's all you got to say. So I'm going to ask right now, those of you that are looking right this way, if you mean it, and you raise your hand for one of those two reasons, while everybody else has their head bowed, get up right now and head to the back. Just go. Don't look to see who else is going. It doesn't matter. Just go. And maybe you didn't raise your hand for anything, but you need to talk to somebody. Just get up and go. People are still going. Just get up and go. People are still going. It's not too late for God to do something in your life. Anybody else? Anybody else? God wants to do something in you. Anybody quickly? If you're going, go now. All right, everybody, you can look right this way. Well, let me say this. I've never spoken at the bridge before. Again, Connor is a very, very, very dear friend of mine. We watch UFC together almost. If I'm not traveling, Connor is at my house, and we watch UFC. You say, I can't believe he's a preacher. You like bloody fights. Yes, I do, and I'm not ashamed of it. But it's been great being here tonight. Hopefully, I get a chance to come back and see you guys again. I guess I'm turning it over to you, Lewis. Is that what I'm doing? Is that right? All right. Thanks, guys.